The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 22. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author James Colton, about deals we're dying for, haunting housing, killer curiosity, and perilous packs. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, 
visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight, from James Colton, introduces us to a gentleman who recounts how he came to own his first home at a seemingly great price that lends credence to the old adage, you get what you pay for, and that, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Without further ado, I present to you The Portal. For a brief period in my younger days, I owned a house in the heart of a rural village. My first house, in fact. It was a foreclosure and therefore cheaply bought. Perfect for a young man just starting to make his way in the world. But the only feature relevant to this particular story was the backyard. A modest, grassy space enclosed on all sides by towering walls of arborvitae, and embellished with a lovely flower garden. It was a verdant sanctuary, completely cut off from the rest of the world. There were only two obvious access points, the back door of the house and an arched gate overgrown with vines that led to the driveway. The yard's central feature was a path, a chain of rounded mossy stones winding through the grass, Charming and yet bizarre, for the path stopped in the middle of the yard, just handed. Perhaps a swimming pool had stood there once, or a fire pit, or a sundial, something removed by the previous owner. Now there was only an emptiness in the middle of the lawn, and in this path, meandering into it. That isolated yard was, I think, the house's most appealing feature, I often lingered out there during the warm summer evenings, found myself always setting out along that path. I placed a chair at the end of it so I could sit, drink, and enjoy the angle of the golden light as it pierced the tops of the trees. One Saturday afternoon, I went out to the backyard to pull weeds from the garden. I embarked, as usual, down the stone path. It wasn't strictly necessary, of course, but it seemed proper. I placed each foot purposely upon the stones until they brought me to the center, and there I stopped, stood, turned slowly to absorb the property. Something felt different. Here, at this point, equidistant from the arborvitae walls, I seemed to have stumbled into an eddy of silence. The warm breeze faded, the birds fell mute. Gone was the hiss of traffic the din of neighbors performing their yard work, even the light seemed altered. I felt I didn't stand within the scene, but outside it, viewing it as a photograph. And the longer I stood there, the more I began to feel I was forgetting something, something dreadfully important. The trees loomed around me, their dark fronds quivering but making no noise, there was a tightness in my chest, a sudden, desperate urge to move. I retreated backward up the path, slowly at first, then faster. As I moved away from the center of the yard, my heart slowed, and sounds gradually returned. 
There were the birds singing. There was the scrape of a car driving by. Within moments, the surreal feeling was gone. Nothing more than a memory is of a dream. A similar experience occurred several weeks later. I was reclining in my chair outside, reading a book, when I became aware of an eerie silence. Setting my book down, I gazed around the yard and felt, once again, that I was viewing a photograph. But there was something else as well, something distant, like a sound, but not of the scene I viewed. Its source seemed to be external, somewhere in that same other place that I now occupied, somewhere behind me, and yet behind me again whenever I turned to look. I couldn't identify it at first, but it gradually swelled until I recognized the timber and echo of laughter, children's laughter, bubbling, rising and falling, always just barely audible. I'd seen children playing in the neighborhood, had sometimes even heard them as I reclined in my backyard, but these were not familiar voices, and they possessed a peculiar reverberation like a recording played back over itself again and again until it was almost indecipherable. That tension in my chest returned, along with the urgent need to be elsewhere. I shot to my feet. The laughter, though distant or, or muffled, seemed close at hand, drawing closer. An icy sensation spread across the back of my neck, and then, and then I bolted from the yard to spend the remainder of my evening indoors. One may think me a fool for returning to the path after two such strange experiences, but I must emphasize that upon quitting that spot, my paranoia evaporated so completely that I couldn't help but question my own memory. New surroundings and an act of imagination, tiredness, and the balmy summer air, all of these could, I thought, combined to make one susceptible to such oddities as I had encountered. Yes, the silence was just the result of a lull in the wind, a coincidental moment of inactivity throughout the neighborhood, that strange laughter just a distortion of normal sounds caused by a malfunction of the ear. I returned home one evening from an exhausting day. After dinner, I picked up a book and retreated to my chair in the backyard. The weather was exceptionally tranquil that night, not too warm, not too cool, with a gentle breeze stirring the arborvitae. After reading for a half hour, I closed my eyes and lost track of time. Perhaps I drifted off, I, I, I don't remember, but when I eventually reopened my eyes, darkness had fallen. It was an utterly quiet night. The crickets and nocturnal birds that usually sang me to sleep were absent, and it was cold, unseasonably cold, as if it were late autumn rather than midsummer. I stood up and stretched, reached for my book, and couldn't find it. I was certain I left it on the arm of the chair. Perhaps I'd knocked it to the ground in my sleep. But no, it wasn't there. I circled the chair, spiraling outward as far as I could imagine the book falling. Nothing. Oh, well. It would just have to stay out there until morning, and hopefully it wouldn't be ruined by the dew. A shiver rattled my frame. It wasn't just the air that was cold. It also felt charged. 
a mounting energy that made my skin prickle, made me feel like something was tracing its way delicately up my spine. Eager to escape the ominous atmosphere, I turned back toward the house. Then I saw something that made me freeze in my tracks. The chair was gone. The chair I had just been sitting in, the chair I'd been circling in my search for the book, had vanished. There was only a bare patch of grass at the end of the stone path. No evidence that anything else had ever existed in that space. Except, no, that wasn't entirely accurate. Coalescing out in the darkness, flanking the empty grass where my chair used to sit, there rose two stone pillars. They stood about six feet high and were each topped with a roughly hewn sculpture of a single raised hand. Two hands were oriented so their palms faced each other. It made me think of a giant buried under the lawn, its arms thrust from beneath the earth. How could I miss them at first? I couldn't. But no, they hadn't been there before, I was certain. Not even when I first started searching for my lost book. They had simply popped into existence between one heartbeat and the next, appearing during some brief moment when my attention was elsewhere. I made a decision then. Although my legs shook and the clouds of steam rose before my face in irregular intervals, my curiosity was stronger than my fear. Instead of skirting around the pillars, I approached them, placed myself between those upraised palms, reached out and touched their dark stone, and withdrew my hand with a gasp. My fingers burned with the memory of an intense, dry cold. I looked down and saw little patches of frost spreading across my skin. As I stood there, in confusion and terror, shivering beneath the black sky, a noise broke the silence, a noise I'd heard before. But where, once it had been distant and ethereal, now it rang like shattering glass in my ear. A child laughing. I spun toward the back edge of the yard, toward a corner where the arborvitae melted with impenetrable shadows. There it stood, a pale child. Oddly shaped waves of black hair framed a head oversized for its neck. Frighteningly thin arms hung at its sides. I couldn't tell if it was male or female, not even whether or not it was clothed, for the entirety of its figure seemed smeared by a gentle glow, not a glow that illuminated anything, but rather the reflected sheen of an object under moonlight, although no moon shone that I could see. It laughed again, high and strangely pitched, with an electric quality that seemed to echo forever as it was sucked away into the night. Then the child rose up off the ground. As startling as a, such a vision was, it was nothing compared with the shock that shortly followed. As the child hovered before me, I realized that what I had first assumed to be undulating waves of black hair were in fact the tendons and knuckles of two massive black hands. They held the child's head between them, lifting it up higher and higher. The laughter that tickled my ears deepened, coarsened, became an abysmal growl. For the first time, 
My eyes made a, a great bulk of shadow behind the child. Slowly, the child's slender arms reached out to me, bony, luminous fingers spread hungrily before it. As the shadowy hulk that carried it took a lumbering step forward, just one step, but with that step, the entire monstrous form seemed to rush forward until it was nearly within reach of me. In startlement, I fell back, landed on the path between the two pillars. The luminous child thing hovered over me, slowly descending, fingers like bones shrouded in cobwebs splayed toward my face. A bird began to sing. The nightmare before me wavered. Skeletal arms flailed. The great black shape lunged forward with a deep howl. But before my eyes, the whole thing faded away. I heard the bird again and noticed the black sky had lightened to a dawn gray. Warmth returned to my limbs. Looking around, I saw the stone pillars were gone. Behind me, Undisturbed stood my chair with my book resting placidly on the armrests. Everything, except me, was soaked in glistening dew. I learned afterward that the previous homeowner had vanished without a trace, resulting in the foreclosure which began my tale. The revelation was my final straw. Barely three weeks after this dreadful experience, I sold the house and moved to an apartment. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed The Portal, as written by author James Colton and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Colton. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Colton, spelled C-O-L-T-O-N, and you'll be redirected to the author's profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you can learn more about this talented writer 
or connect with him via his official website, jamescolton.com, or his social media, and find a convenient link to Amazon, where you can buy his books today, including his collections of the many tales he's written over the years, as well as a few longer works, too. And, as a bonus, as an Amazon associate, a portion of your purchase made via clicking that link comes back to us to help support this show, as well as the author. Colton's latest, Puppet Kingdoms, is the second in the author's Null Saga series. Before diving into part two, you'll want to pick up the first book in the series, entitled Null Device. In the Null Saga, you'll meet Zirin, a thief, assassin, and a soldier, but never a hero. His grisly talents may have been appreciated in the uprising against Mad Queen Atra's arcane puppets, but even his fellow rebels considered him a curse. When a failed assault on the Queen's largest factory leaves the rebellion leaderless and in tatters, their only hope for victory is a mythical artifact with the ability to negate magic, the Null Device. If they can find it, if they can shut down the Queen's sorcery, then Zirin can kill her and save the world. He can finally do something good for once in his life. The only problem is, Zirin begins to see through the lies he was raised to believe. He's not sure that saving the world and doing what's right is necessarily the same thing. If Null Device and the Null Saga sound like your dark fantasy cup of tea, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Colton and click Amazon and pick up a copy today. You won't be sorry you did. And when you do, check out his collections of short horror, too, and be sure to leave a five-star review and a kind word. Plus, let the author know you heard about him here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy once again of Mr. Colton. In it, we'll meet another gentleman about to experience a life-changing event. He's been hired for a new job with a great salary. The only problem is he's got to relocate to a new city to get it, and housing is really expensive. So, when he sees an advertisement for cheap accommodations, he jumps at the chance to take a peek. But he'll soon discover that there's more to the budget-friendly home than meets the eye. Far more. Without further ado, I present to you Photographs in Darkness. I braked at the stoplight and rested my forehead against the steering wheel. What could I do? The three appointments I'd scheduled had been fruitless. My two impromptu tours likewise. This city was just too expensive, even for the, I'd thought at the time, generous salary for my new job. But that salary was contingent on my relocation, and it was looking more and more like I wouldn't be able to relocate. The light turned green. Just before I pulled away from the intersection, I saw the flyer. It was taped to the stoplight pole and caught my eye because of four words. Apartments for rent cheap. I slowed down to note the address, earning an impatient honk from the car behind me. 
I had time for one more tour, one more chance. Hopefully cheap meant the same thing to the Flyers' owner as it did to my overstretched budget. If not, I shuddered at the thought of returning to my parents' basement. My hopes both rose and fell as I neared the address. Rose because even in this overpriced city, a bed in this part of town had to come cheap. Fell because it was, well, that part of town. Shining glass gave way to dark, jagged holes. Traffic disappeared. Stoplights swayed from their wires, lifeless. There were no trees showing off autumn colors. But there were enough discarded newspapers whispering through the streets, like leaves that it felt like I was driving down a country road in a black-and-white photo. By the time I parked in front of the address, my conflicted hopes had died. This building was abandoned. Dimming sunlight, what little made it this deep into the urban labyrinth, showed me a door fused to its casing by a smear of graffiti. Windows caked with dirt and soot, rusted fire escapes that ended several stories too soon. That was it, then, my last hope, a dead end. I shifted into reverse. A gray form moved behind the spray paint and grime of one of the windows. A moment later, the graffiti door cracked open and a slight hunched form slipped out. It stopped when it saw my car, stared directly at me, and I almost didn't hit the brakes. No, I didn't want to share a building with that thing. But my foot came down and halted my retreat. The old man... It was a man, not some imp, limped to my car and waited for me to roll down the window. Are you looking to rent? he asked. His voice was surprisingly normal, cultured even. I, he beckoned me out and led me back toward the door. His gait was at odds with his crisp voice. You'll find no place cheaper, $100 a month, no security deposit. He opened the door and ushered me inside. The smell was damp and earthly, and it was very dark. The obstructed windows blocked most of the sunlight. There was a harsh click, and a single fluorescent bulb washed us in its sickly glow. Walls mottled green with mold and closed us. The corners were filled with debris from outside, blown in by unaccountable years of doors opening and shutting. Were you looking to move in tonight? Uh, what? No, I was just scoping places out. Ah, my available units are on the fourth floor. They're all empty up there, so you can choose whichever you like. He opened up another door onto a metal staircase. No elevator, I fear. I started up, then noticed he wasn't following. My presence is not required, he said. As long as you're just looking, I have other appointments to keep, so I must leave you. Take your time, and when you're finished, shut the front door behind you. There's no need to lock up. He bowed to me, then left. I wondered if the upper floors would be any more appealing than the neglected lobby. The dirt-crusted steps weren't very promising. My feet echoed up the stairs in spite of my best efforts to move quietly. Hollow thuds rose above me and filled the building, announcing my ascent to everyone who lived up there. 
What kind of neighbors would I have? A place this squalid, this cheap, would attract a certain kind of tenant. Yeah, I thought. The kind of upstanding young professional who had the same misfortune of landing a job in the most expensive city in the country. Maybe they're all just like me. Not drug addicts, unemployed squatters, grandparents, forgotten by their descendants. The stairway ended at the second floor and hurled me into a long, narrow corridor lined with six doors, three on each side. A second stairwell waited to receive me at the far end. This floor was blanketed in carpet. It muffled my steps as I passed the doors, but I found it hard to feel grateful. There was a sponginess to the fibers. Yes, I could even hear a faint squelch over time if I shifted my weight. Toward the end of the hall, I found the reason. A pipe in the exposed ceiling dripped a regular bead against the carpet. How long it had been leaking to thoroughly soak the entire floor. The third level wasn't much better. There was no leaky pipe, but the carpet here was worn bare, even torn up in some places, as if someone had dragged an unwilling cat down its entire length. Unlike the hall below, this one wasn't straight. A ninety-degree bend hid half the doors, and the next stairwell from view. Cats, I thought as I rounded the corner, and crept past the closed doors. I wonder if pets are allowed. Not that I had one, but living in a place this depressing might require some emotional support. The final staircase spiraled me up onto the fourth floor. Here all the doors were open, the units within exposing their darkness, spilling it out into the corridor. I poked my head into the first one, flipping the reluctant light switch just inside the door. The unit was bare, dirty walls punctuated by even dirtier windows. I continued down the hall, finally deciding to enter the last unit on my right. I didn't even consider the ones on the left. Any windows they might have would open on the alley at best. The unit I'd chosen was much like the rest of the building. Crumbling, molding, rotting. Somehow mud-splattered newspapers like the ones in the street had managed to find their way up here. The unit had four rooms. A bedroom, living room, kitchen, and bathroom. I tried to tap at the kitchen sink. After much rattling, something plopped into the rusted metal basin. Wonderful. I'd finally found an affordable apartment and I was pretty sure third-world peasants had nicer living conditions. I strolled to one of the windows and looked out. My car waited for me at the curb far below. It was a welcome sight, an escape. Already I could tell the decay of the building was getting to me. If I moved in, I'd be dead within a month, found hanging by my bruised neck from one of the pipes in the hallway, if I was ever found at all. The landlord had said only these units on the fourth floor were available, but I'd encountered no evidence that anyone lived here at all. No sounds, not even other vehicles along the street outside. Perhaps the landlord meant that the fourth floor units were the only habitable ones. Habitable to a rat, maybe. I turned away from the window and found myself staring into utter darkness. You gotta be kidding me. I felt my way along the wall to the light switch. Clicked it twice. Nothing. I thought of all those stairs. 
Maybe it won't be found hanging from the pipes. Instead, they'll find me at the bottom of a stairwell, my brains strewn behind me in a pink trail down the steps. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a camera. I intended to compare photos of the many apartments I'd toured today, although the rent in this city would render such decision-making unnecessary. The screen blinked at me, low battery warning. Great. But it was the only light source I had. The screen itself was too dim, but I turned on the flash, raised the camera, pointed it toward the door, and snapped a photo. For a half second, the unit was revealed in all its grimy nakedness. Stark walls, shadows, banished to peek around corners, edges made razor sharp. There was nothing as unflattering as a camera flash. The image was seared into my retinas, and I was able to escape the unit without bumping into anything. Hopefully, the battery would last long enough for me to reach the ground floor. I pointed the camera down the hall and clicked it again. The flash burned my eyes, but allowed me to stagger down the lightless hall with moderate confidence. When I reached the stairwell, I took another picture. Here, I went slowly. The afterimage of the spiraling stairs glowed in my memory, but it was an imperfect memory. Metal steps swam through my mind, the entire stairway stretching and shrinking with each second. My hand clung to the rusted railing. Flakes of it broke off under my palm. At the bottom, I hesitated. The camera held in front of me, pointing down the first stretch of the crooked third-floor hall. Something stank. I adjusted my breathing to minimize how much I could smell. A blend of spoiled milk and rotten eggs, before snapping another photo. The hall bent 90 degrees. Three of the units were visible from where I stood. One of them was open. I remained rooted to my spot at the bottom of the stairwell. Every door I'd passed on my way up to the fourth floor had been closed. If this one was open, that meant someone was wandering the halls with me. I stopped that train of thought. Of course someone else was here. That's why I'd had to climb all the way to the fourth floor. All the other units were occupied. Why did I dread the thought of meeting whoever lived here? The afterimage had faded from my memory, so I took another photo before starting forward. But once more I had to stop. Wait. The door. It was closed now. I hadn't heard it shut. Hadn't heard anything. It was a waste of battery power, but I had to know. I switched my camera to review mode and flipped back to the previous photo. An empty hallway, three doors, all closed. How? How? I could have sworn I, I saw. Never mind. I hurried forward, my neck prickling as I passed those doors. I reached the bend in the hall and paused just long enough to snap a picture before rushing to the next stairwell. Something knocked behind me. I spun, nearly slipping on the top step. I saw nothing in the blackness, save for the phantom, half-shapes my brain invented, drifting back and forth, billowing and shrinking, as if testing the distance between us. I banished them with another flash from my camera. Emptiness. Bare walls, moldy floors. The knocking sound, whatever it was, had come from around the corner, beyond the reach of the flash. 
I realized I was breathing heavily and put my hand over my mouth to silence myself. The breathing continued. Not my own. It came from a point to my left, from where I remembered seeing a heavy door. It had a distinctive rhythm to it. In, out, in, out. I started down the stairs, forgetting to eliminate them first, and almost tripped. I steadied myself against the railing and started over again, slower. There's nothing to be afraid of. One of the tenants investigating the power outage, that's all. And yet, when I reached the second floor, and those thundering footsteps echoed down the stairwell after me, I ran. I snapped a quick photo, a crooked one, the flash hitting walls at odd angles, and leaving crisp shadows in the wrong places, and sprinted down the squishing carpet. Ran, trying not to think about the fact that every single door I passed was open. I reached the final stairwell and pressed the button on my camera. Nothing. No flash, no light. No way to forge a path through the darkness. The battery was dead. I lingered there on the precipice of the stairwell, hanging over an abyss, terrified of plunging into that unmapped darkness, terrified of waiting for... A long squelching sound came faintly from the darkness behind me. A drawn-out pause. Another squelch. Like something heavy being dragged across soaked carpet fibers. I lowered my foot onto the first step. My hand found the rusted railing. Another step. Another. I sped up as I grew accustomed to the rhythm of the stairs. My footsteps echoed up and down the cavernous stairwell. It felt like I'd been climbing forever when I finally reached solid, flat ground. Dim light washed over me as I stepped out the stairwell and into the lobby. Moonlight filtered through the grimy, graffiti-masked windows. I ran to the door and flung myself into the night. I stood there on the front step, breathing in the cold air. My car waited for me by the curb like a friend. I laughed at myself, then, remembering the landlord's instructions, I shut the door behind me. Something banged against the other side. I bolted. My tires screeched as I pulled away from the derelict building, and ancient newspapers scattered in my wake. When I got home, I put my camera's memory card into my laptop. It was mostly filled with snapshots of the apartments I'd visited that day. I deleted them all. Too expensive. What would I do? I needed this job. Maybe they'd let me work from home. My eye was drawn to one of the thumbnails I hadn't yet deleted. One of the crazy, nearly black-and-white photos of my retreat from that final apartment. I clicked it on, blowing it up to fill my monitor. It was the second-floor hall, crooked, taken in panic. Six units lined the hall, six portals into the most desolate rooms I'd ever seen. Six doors flung open, exposing their inner blackness. And six gray faces grinning out at me. I closed the image and deleted it along with every other picture on the memory card. Then I called my future employer and left a message saying that due to relocation difficulties, I would not be taking the job.
I hope you enjoyed Photographs in Darkness by author James Colton, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a third dose of darkness for you, once again from James Colton, a tale that will ensure that if you're claustrophobic or have fears of caves, that's not going to change. And if you're not afraid of tight spaces and mysterious holes in the ground, well, you're going to be. Without further ado, I present to you from somewhere deep. I have a lot of fond memories from my teenage years. This is not one of them. I just finished my sophomore year of high school. To celebrate the start of our summer freedom, my younger brother and I spent the evening around a bonfire in the backyard burning old homework assignments and roasting marshmallows over their ashes. I don't recall which of us suggested abandoning the fire and hiking through the woods behind our property. It was a stupid idea, and if it was mine, then I'd like to apologize to my brother now. If you can read this, Dan, I'm sorry. We'd been there plenty of times during the day. The forest floor stretched more or less level for several yards before suddenly plunging into a broad gully. A stony brook trickled along the bottom. As far as we knew, that brook had no name and we couldn't identify its source or its destination. It was simply the brook. On warm summer nights, we could hear frogs singing along its banks, and after a heavy rain, we could hear its swollen current rushing through the gully. But tonight, it was quiet. There'd been no rain for a couple of weeks, so any remaining water was stagnant. Even the frogs were still, although now and then we heard a lonely thunk or peep. We were cautious. Our post-school, s'more-fueled euphoria hadn't completely clouded our judgment. We knew not to stray too deeply into the woods, to walk parallel to the tree line, so as to not risk tumbling into the gully. But if you've never been in a forest at night, you have no idea how dark it is, how easy it is to get disoriented. It's nothing like the movies. There's no luminous blue fog to light your way. It can be pitch black even with a full moon overhead, and we didn't even have that small luxury. After maybe 15 minutes of laughing at our own daring, then laughing at the way our laughter echoed back at us off the trees, we found ourselves sliding down the steep bank toward the brook. If that had been the worst of our misfortunes, this would have been one of those fond memories I mentioned earlier. Neither of us were hurt, and we weren't afraid of getting lost. The gully was a constant landmark. All we had to do was march back up the hill, and we'd be home in a matter of minutes. And now that we were at the bottom, the greatest danger was already past. So, rather than take our tumble as a warning, we laughed it off and took it as an excuse to keep exploring. As I mentioned before, this wasn't our first time exploring the gully, just our first time after dark. We knew that gully and that little brook. We knew all the notable trees and oddities in the landscape. We'd practically grown up in those woods. So, when we saw the light glowing out of the hillside ahead of us, we were surprised, to say the least. Dan and I both stopped. The light was dim, an orange shimmer in the darkness, 
like firelight cast from an unseen source. "'What do you think it is?' asked Dan. I shrugged, although Dan couldn't see me. "'Let's find out.' I started forward, but Dan held me back. "'Wait,' he said. "'What if it's someone else?' I hesitated and listened. Nothing but the wind and the leaves overhead, but even that was fading. The chorus of crickets and frogs had fallen silent. "'If it was the other people,' I said at last, "'they'd have already heard us coming, and we would have seen them.' I took a few more steps and eventually heard Dan following behind. The terrain around the light gradually resolved itself. There was a rectangular opening cut into the wall of the gully, framed in roughly cut stone. The light flickered from inside. I approached the opening and peered around the stonework. It was a tunnel, crudely dug, dirt floor and dirt walls, layers of bedrock running through it all. A few feet in, a small fire burned. What it burned, I couldn't tell. Not wood. Something small and dark with a loose organic shape. Beyond the strange fire, the tunnel reached into the hillside and ended just beyond the reach of the firelight at a closed door made of lashed branches set into the wall of solid rock. A potent, moldy smell washed over me. What do you see? I jumped at Dan's voice. Look for yourself, I said. He crept around to peer inside. I've never seen this place before. How long were we walking? Not long. We couldn't have wandered much further beyond our property line, and we'd certainly explored further in the past, but we'd never encountered this odd cave before. Dan and I both moved to enter the tunnel at the same time. The entrance was just wide enough for us to squeeze through side by side. We passed the fire, which, looking back on it now, didn't seem to give off any heat. We came to the little wooden door, here, for some reason, my desire to explore wavered. There were enough gaps between the irregular branches that I could glimpse the other side. I only saw darkness and was quite content to leave it at that. Dan, however, tugged on one of the branches. The door rattled, but didn't open. Some primitive mechanism must have held it shut, although I couldn't find a lock or handle or anything like that. I wonder what's back there, said Dan, leaning his face close so he could look inside. I wished he wouldn't, but I didn't say anything. It wasn't warm in the tunnel, but I could feel a thin film of sweat on my neck. That moldy smell was suffocating, like a damp cloth stuffed up my nose. I wondered how Dan didn't seem to notice it. I turned back to look at the fire again, at the dark form that burned within. Maybe I imagined it, but I thought the black shape twitched. Let's get out of here. Dan joined me as we left the door behind. We were maybe halfway to the exit when, from out of the dark woods, we heard a distant thump, 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 the thump. The noise stopped us both, then repeated itself. Thump, 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 the thump. An answering crack broke the silence behind us. We spun and saw one of the branches that made up the door had been split in half. Its broken ends lay in the dirt. Dan and I were pressed close together. I could feel the goosebumps on his arms brushing against my own. 
My eyes were fixed on the dark gap between the branches, and the hairs on my back prickled. The fire which burned at our feet dimmed. The flames shrank, and with them went the light. It became nothing more than a red mirage on the floor in front of us, then it vanished completely. The cave was filled with blackness. For a moment we stood there in frozen silence. Then I felt the pressure of Dan's arm pull quickly away toward the back of the tunnel. He gave a short cry. There was a whump as he hit the ground, then a fast scraping through the dirt. I heard him scream my name, but already it seemed to come from a great distance, fading out of hearing even as I registered the panic in his voice. I started to chase after him, but in the complete darkness I was disoriented. Instead of running straight down the tunnel, I veered off and collided with a wall. As I recovered myself, I heard a distinct thump, 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 the thump. It was louder than before, closer. My heart slammed against my ribs. I whirled around in the tunnel for a few precious seconds, torn. Dan was back there somewhere, dragged away by... By thump, 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 the thump. They were getting faster and closer with every heartbeat. What could I do? I couldn't leave, Dan. I, I couldn't stay. Thump, 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 the thump. It bolted from the tunnel. As soon as I was outside, the thumping stopped. But I didn't. I scrambled up the bank of the gully, tripping, crawling, sliding back down, regaining my feet and climbing again. After what seemed an eternity... I reached the top and sprinted as fast as I dared through the trees. I finally emerged in a neighbor's backyard and from there followed the dying embers of our old campfire back to our house. I have many fond memories of my teenage years, both before and after that event, but those that came after were always tainted by Dan's absence. He was never found. I told the story to my parents and again to the police. They searched the woods and the gully. I even went back myself after years had passed and much of the terror had faded. There was no trace of that tunnel in the hillside. Of course, that was during the day. I told the police to look at night, but they didn't believe me. As for myself, I would never again set foot beyond the tree line after dark. Dan was eventually declared dead. I hope that was the truth, that whatever ripped him away from my side killed him quickly because otherwise those last few years I spent in that house, lying awake at night, hearing him scream for help from somewhere deep under the foundations, if that wasn't his ghost, I could never forgive myself. I hope you enjoyed From Somewhere Deep by author James Colton, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has some amazing books available to purchase now on Amazon.com. That includes Colton's latest books in his fantastic Null Saga series, beginning with Null Device and continuing in the latest installment, Puppet Kingdoms, released just this past December 2020. If fantasy isn't quite your style, Colton's also been writing short horror fiction for years, and not one, 
But four volumes of his collected tales are available now as well in the Pages of Dust series, which you'll also find on Amazon. To get your copies today, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Colton. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Colton, spelled C-O-L-T-O-N, and you'll be redirected to our horror fiction website. And the author's profile there, where you'll find a link to his Amazon page and the book itself, as well as ways to connect with James and send him a kind word. And again, if you decided to give any of this talented author's books a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let him know you heard about him on this program and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. As always, thanks for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before I go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. 
got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed. I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.